I'd like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Jerry. Hi, I'm Jerry, a compulsive overeater. Hi, Jerry. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for asking me to speak. And, um, Saturday, November 25th, 2006. This is probably my uh, 34th Thanksgiving weekend that I've had in OA. And uh, it's an honor to, to come here on a Thanksgiving weekend to, to share uh, my experience, my strength, and my hope. How many people have ever heard my story before? Not too many. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so I could tell somebody else's story and yeah, maybe the ones that remember will say, you know, it's sort of like that. But, uh, nah, my story's okay. You know, it's my story. And uh, I used to think, you know, I'd rather sound like somebody else. I don't like the way I sound. Uh, you know, he has a good story. And she has some things that happened to her that I'd rather, you know. So my, my self-worth, of course, was not very good. And uh, today, I don't mind being me. And um, so to get right to it, I started to pass some pictures around. And um, I'm grateful, like I said, to be here today on a Thanksgiving uh, weekend you know, and to see so many people here. We were talking before how sparse some of the meetings have been. And uh, you know, I was sort of sarcastic and said something like, well, maybe so many people are doing so well that they don't need a meeting on the weekend, you know, Thanksgiving weekend, which, you know, we, uh, we call it like National Overeaters Day or something. You know, Arnold was telling me it's uh, Amateur Day, you know, for those that, uh, you know, like in New Year's Eve for the alcoholic, they call it Amateur Day for people, you know, that, but uh, then again, over the 34 different Thanksgivings that I've experienced in OA, I've you know noticed sometimes after the weekend's over, there's those that are missing in action. You know, like you know, it is a war. Let's face it, this is a damn war, especially you know at a weekend like this where food is made so important. You know, and uh, some of us tend to want to just go out there and forget about uh, our, our uh, priorities. You know, and I'll say that in the 34 Thanksgiving that I've experienced, I've, I've had that happen to me, maybe more than I want to remember. So if you were hoping or, or thinking that you're going to get a speaker that's never uh, had a problem with their food, I'm not the one. You know, I've, I've, my, my legacy in OA is that for a little over 34 years, I've come back to OA no matter what's happened to me. And uh, I came into OA back in uh, New York City, well, actually in Long Island. I was brought up in New York City, and uh, by the age of 24, I was almost 400 pounds, and uh, that's when I came into OA in Mineola, Long Island, in August 8th of 1972. And uh, OA has some name, different names, uh, that if you read some of these history books, uh, founder, Roseanne, put out uh, what was that famous one that she put out? Beyond the Wildest Dreams. She talks about some of my friends that uh, were in these groups. and They were called OA uh, uh, OA Plus OA Gray Sheet, OA Westminster. Um, 
there was an orange sheet that was out before the gray sheet. And they're all different colors, you know. They, they went through a lot of different colors of different diet sheets. And I got to the point where I said, I don't give a sheet anymore. I'm just going <laughs> to come back to OA and, and not worry about what color the different sheet is, you know. Who gives a sheet what, you know. You know. It's more about, you know, what, 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 I, what I'm feeling about and uh, how I'm feeling about life and uh, relationships. And I started to realize that it was more than the food that, that was bothering me. And uh, to tell you the truth, this OA uh, Westminster made, uh, you know, what, what do they have it today? It's called OA How. You know, there's an OA How group. And, uh, but this Westminster group made the OA How look like a binge. <laughs> it, it was very, very punitive, to say the least. But uh, it did what it was supposed to do. I mean, people were losing weight right and left. I mean, believe me, I mean, weight was pouring off. Because that was the primary purpose, was to uh, stay on this diet no matter what. That was the primary purpose. And then they spoke about the steps a little bit. We needed the steps. We just needed to lose weight. We're all gung-ho to lose weight. You know, my God, I mean, somebody was talking about no white flour, no no wheat flour. I mean, that was standard. You couldn't have any of that stuff. I remember one day they decided, uh, because people were losing weight so fast, body parts were falling off. (laughs) One woman was complaining that she lost her ass. <laughs> she turned around one day and said, my, my butt is gone. You know, and she was all upset. She didn't realize she could lose weight that quickly. And so they said they were going to put wheat germ on this uh, new uh, gray sheet thing. And, uh, so they figured all these body parts people are losing, it might be a little unhealthy, they thought. So. And I was so excited that they were going to put wheat germ. So I didn't even know what the hell it was. <laughs> But I was excited with something different than what I was eating. <laughs> and so that goes to show you, you know, and I, I, really as I'm talking about this for the first few minutes is that uh, to show you how OA has evolved, full circle. And uh, they found out, you know, in the 70s when I came in that, uh, and I had a sponsor, God bless him, and uh, some people might know him. He, he was a visionary. His name was Bill Bluestein, Bill B., out some non-published, non-OA-approved uh, books, and he was, you know, he, had, he, had, you know, he was a controversial person, and uh, he helped me quite a bit, though. I, I took what I liked, and I left the rest as far as personalities go, and I do that with any sponsor or sponsee that I work with. And he told me, Jerry, you have a problem more than just the 400 pounds that's on your body. You have a lot of negativity. I immediately took offense. I felt very negative about what he said. I was really pissed, you know, that he would tell me, you know, here I thought, you know, just lose some weight and I'm a just charming individual. Which, of course, you could see right here, right now. And I was really upset that he would tell me something like that. But, you know, to take an honest appraisal of myself, you know, and it talks about in our step one, in our first step of our ovary designs, were we really excelling at our jobs or were we just getting along? How were our relationships? How was our marriage? I could say horrible on every one of them. But if you ask me, I said, well, I'm okay with all of this stuff. It's just the compulsive eating I need to get a handle on. Well, Bill knew better. 
he knew better that I was messed up in so many other ways other than just being 400 pounds. But trust me, being 400 pounds in itself was pretty devastating. And uh, probably not any more devastating than a bulimic, I, I think, or an anorexic. You know, Every disorder has its own private hell that needs to be experienced. Otherwise, they would call it Overweighters Anonymous, not Overeaters Anonymous. And you know, I believe you don't have to be 400 pounds or you know, not able to walk or fit through a turnstile to experience the devastation of what an eating disorder is like. And I remember years ago in the early 70s of some of these young, beautiful women that are here today in our audience, you know, would come into the room, they'd say, what the heck are they doing here? They're not overweight. And, uh, but the fact I've learned is mostly between the head, not only in mine, but in other people's. And, you know, you look at somebody, you, you make a judgment, well, they look wonderful. And that's all it is, is an opinion. You know what they say about opinions, too. You know, it's like our opinion of what we think of others is not always so accurate. And uh, we'd make judgments about people that looked like they didn't belong. And all I tell anyone is, you're a member as soon as you say you're a member. And uh, some, some people will tell you what they think is wrong with you in this program. <laughs> you know, they're quick to give their, their opinion. And again, you know what opinions are, too. So I've learned not to take other people's opinion. You know, I, I hear what people say a lot of times. And, you know, if it has some credence, I, I, I look at it. And I don't get into, I try not to get into ego-driven arguments anymore. Like, I have to be right. I, you know, my opinion is it. You know, talk with a lot of authority, sound good, and you think it's, uh, you know, the way it's supposed to be. It's not true. And I know there's a lot of people, including myself, that sound you know, really good. I, the only reason I sound, I think I sound okay, is because I've been around, so I feel comfortable after 34. I feel comfortable standing here. And I don't have to believe that everyone is naked in front of me. Like they say, you know, when you do public speaking, make believe everyone in the audience is naked. You know, I don't want to do that here at least. <laughs> I'd, lo I'd lose my train of thought, actually. <laughs> So, I really think that whatever our own private hell is, that we, that I look at it and not try to compare myself to anyone. Anytime I've compared myself, I don't feel as worthy or I feel superior to that person that I compare myself to. I used to hear people get up in our way and talk about the food plan that they were on. I said, oh my I'm horrible the way I eat compared to the way they're eating. Or, or that person is eating like a glutton. No wonder they're, you know, excellent. But who knows how much weight they've lost. You know, I would have these judgments about what people would share about. But I noticed that when I had judgments of what people were sharing, I was sitting in my seat pretty quiet. Because I was doing so much judging, I figured, well, everyone else is doing it. So if everyone else is doing that, I don't want them to know what's really going on with me. You know, so it's like a boomerang. You know, what what, what goes out comes back. You know, karma, I guess they call it. And, uh, so I came in August eighth, nineteen seventy-two, and boy, oh boy, I was I was fit to be tied. 
And again, I just thought, lose weight and I'll be all right. I remember in this Mineola Long Island meeting on August 8th, 1972, on a Thursday night, it was held at a hospital, local hospital there. And there was probably, oh my goodness, without exaggeration, it was probably like the Serenity Sunday meeting. Maybe 100, 150 people sometime, most of the time. And OA was in its heyday, no, no pun intended. And um, everybody was so gung-ho, and it was wonderful. I mean, you know, I talk about how they concentrated on being on a diet so much, but you know what? That was my experience. That was everyone's experience at that time. And uh, they didn't, we didn't know different, you know. And we, we've learned over the years that, you know, you've got to start doing more than just, you know, looking at the intake or outtake of food. And I remember there was a young man that got up. He was like 26 years old. He was a couple of years older than me. And his name was Tony. He was a mailman. And he used to he sent around pictures of how he, you know, delivered the mail. And he was like also 450 pounds, a little heavier than me. I said, I'm not so bad. I'm only 400 pounds. <laughs> and, um, you know, he talked about how much weight he lost. And... Uh, you know, despite all that talk of, of, of the weight loss and concentrating on that, I found something so special that since that time, I never stopped coming back. And that was a love and an acceptance and a feeling not so unique anymore. People talked about how they hid food. Tony talked about how the food was everything in his life. It was his lover. It was his friend. It was his escape. I felt all those things, but I never knew how to put them into words. And even if I did, I could never share that with somebody else. So I knew that this was for me. But yet, you know, I, I felt a lot of judgment, of course. You know, it sounded very silly to get up and hold hands and say a prayer. And, you know, people would go running over to me and say, do you need a sponsor? I thought it had something to do with television. You know, I, you know, I watched a lot of TV as being very heavy, so I thought if you have a sponsor like Oscar Mayer, they, 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 they give you a shirt and you'd wear it at the meeting and, you know, they're your sponsor to come into, and then they talked about giving away food, so I thought you actually give food to other people and that's how you lose the weight so quickly. So I, I poked a lot of fun at the whole thing. And I said to myself, this is free? I mean, why, why is it free? How come they don't charge anything? They must be so insecure about their program. <laughs> and, and, but what they'll do is they'll, in a couple of years, they'll wait, and then they'll sneak up and, like, try to really, you know, <laughs> charge me a lot for something. You know? <laughs> yeah, I was brought up in New York, Jewish skeptical. You know? I figured, when, when are they going to tug at my pocketbook here? Hasn't happened in 34 years, but now, my God, they're up to $3 a meeting, the suggestion. <laughs> and I've heard people saying, we can't talk about that at our meeting. That's just a suggestion. Every group was autonomous. If we want to give 50 cents, we will. These are the same people I would see go out to fellowship and spend $40 on lunch. <laughs> my God, where is the priorities? And there I go with my judgments again. <laughs> So you want to hear about recovery? You come to the wrong meeting today. <laughs> no, I'll tell you about recovery. Recovery is coming back to meetings and being teachable. And I thought I was pretty smart. 
I really thought I was a smart guy. You know, I, I did okay at my work. You know, I, I did more than excel. I was very dedicated because I had nothing else to do, so I would always be at work. I was very loyal. Actually, my boss really liked it when I lost a lot of weight, but he says, I never see you anymore. You used to come and work a lot after hours. And I said, well, i got a wife now. He says, yeah. And uh, my goodness, what a private hell it was being 400 pounds and feeling like there's no answer to this whole thing. And I believe that I do have a very hopeless disease. But it's not without help. There's no cure right now. And there's a lot of wonderful things that have happened since, you know, the AA came of age, 1935, 1940. The doctor's opinion, or where is it? Um, I think it's a doctor's opinion. It says, science may one day accomplish this, but it hasn't done so yet. Yeah, isn't that somewhere in there, I think? Yeah, More, yeah thank you. Chapter 3, right. And... Uh, that was 1935, 2007 we're coming up to. So many things have happened. Recovery homes, eating disorder units, surgeries, uh, all kinds of vitamins and pills and you name it. No, they couldn't. They, they cut my stomach or a gastric bypass, but they couldn't bypass my brain to help me realize that I have a disease of the attitudes they ever have an operation for that, I'll probably try to get it. I'm always looking for the easier, softer way. I wouldn't mind the easier, softer way, but you know what? For the past 34 years, all I've been doing is coming to meetings and being teachable. Being teachable is probably one of the finest things that's ever happened to me, being able to have a higher power. So I want to talk a little bit of higher power. Higher power means I don't have to do this whole thing alone. The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. The courage is, is to start believing my way is not working. Maybe your way is a little bit better. So why don't I look at your way and, and, and evaluate some things and, and decide that I don't have to be so invested in so much in the way I think. My best thinking kept me at 400 pounds. So why not be open to something else? Say, swallow your pride. I swallowed everything else, you know. I, I could swallow my pride and start, uh, you know, believing that, you know, things could get better by doing something different. And I made a want ad for the type of God that uh, I would like. And uh, my God does not punish me if I don't do well. My God is always cheering for me, like, like a rooting section. Now, this God looks a little bit strange to me, but I'll share with you. You know, First of all, it is a man. He has a long beard. He has a staff in his hand. He walks around in the mountains, you know, almost like Bin Laden. You know? <laughs> but, I mean, just the looks only. If you, you don't notice his news clips, he walks around very peaceful in the mountains, trying to get away from the, you know, whoever's looking for him. But other than that, he looks very serene, you know. It looks something like that. <laughs> I could just imagine if this is on CD and a few years from now, would people, who the hell has been Laden? You know? <laughs> Why are people laughing? You know? But, you know what, that's my conception of a higher power. And I found out that you don't like my higher power, do you? 
And I found out that, you know, everybody's conception is so different. Thank goodness. You know, imagine if everybody felt the way I did. It'd be crazy. You know? I, I believe that um, if we all were told we had to believe in one thing, a lot of people wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have been here if they told me I had to believe in a higher power. To me, a higher power is something other than myself running the show. I don't want to run the show. As you know what happened to me, so if I'm not doing that well, why not turn it over to somebody else? And in the beginning, my higher power was first my sponsor. Not Bill, but this other, this other right in the beginning I had a woman named Ethel. Poor Ethel died a few years later. She couldn't be my higher power anymore. She was dead. <laughs> and... Uh, then I decided, well, I was disappointed, so this time I'll take the group. You know, so the group was my higher power. And then I decided all of OA in itself, world service, all the people around the world, thousands and thousands. You know, right now I think we have something like almost 7,000 meetings in like 21 countries. That's a higher power right there, a force of people that understand what I'm going through. But now it's this guy that looks like this Bin Laden, but it's really not. You know? And uh, so everything has stepped up. You know, every, uh, nothing is permanent for me except change. And I felt like it's okay to change higher powers. It's okay to change sponsors. My goodness, look what we get in this program. Free. Free, free, free. I mean, I know somebody that has a sponsor for uh, weight loss. I know another person has a sponsor for steps, another sponsor for maintenance, another sponsor to help her be on time for work in the morning, another sponsor, you know, to help her with her unge- unge- with, uh, with her house. It's all in turmoil, you know. It's like this is getting a little ridiculous already, you know. But it's like, you know, you can get somebody to help you for just about anything now. And that's the wisdom to know the difference is who to get to ask for, for help. That takes a lot of wisdom. What professional would I go to? Would I go to an optometrist to find out why my bunions hurt? Would I go to a commercial weight loss group to find out how to stop compulsive overeating? No. I'd go to a foot doctor or I'd go to... Overeaters Anonymous for my eating disorder. And these are the experts in the business. People that know exactly what I go through and what I've been through. And uh, I don't know. It's a pretty fantastic program. When you think I was joking about all these different sponsors, it's like you could have like a chain of people helping us, helping me. It's like, you know, rich people have butlers and maids, and, you know, we have all these people we could ask for help. So I feel very important. I feel very rich. <laughs> because I have all this support that I wish to use. I used to be the type of person, that if you ran me over with a car, and I got up and I was half dead, they'd say, how are you? i go, I'm fine. <laughs> because I didn't want to admit complete defeat. Who likes to admit complete defeat? Nobody. No one wants to admit complete defeat. We all, I could say we, because it is a we program. We all feel as though it's something degrading to admit complete defeat, especially with food. 
but you do see it mostly a lot of women. You know, women do. Uh, women are the majority in this program. I think they should have a, a chapter called "Men Suffer Too." <laughs> and I always felt as though, you know, this is a pretty wimpy disease. At least my father had a manly disease. He was a full-blown alcoholic. And my brother would slam drugs into his arm. It doesn't sound too masculine or too macho to say I eat a lot of Twinkies and submarine sandwiches. <laughs> Hot dogs made me my life unmanageable. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. It's a very slow death. It's a very slow, slow death. And who wants to, you know, talk about that disease, you know? Now... January 17th, I think the birthday ended last year, and it was on a Sunday. And Monday I went uh, to get a checkup, and the doctor said to me, by the way, don't come in and see me because I've already got your blood work. I want you to go to a specialist, and I want you to get a test. I said, what kind of test? He said, I want you to get a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. I said, why? He said, well, your blood work came back a little weird, and you know, it was a little... Uh, blood in your uh, in your uh, stool. So I'm on the table, and they doped me up with a lot of Darvon, and you know I was so happy and giddy, and blah blah blah. This machine's going around. I could see my, you know, the the the, uh, and the the tube going in there, and it didn't hurt at all. It was a great test. And the doctor said to me, "Just be quiet for a minute. Stop cracking so many jokes." And, you know, that's me. <laughs> so I, I was quiet, and I said, why is it so serious? He says, quiet, quiet, quiet. He says, we're going to take a little biopsy here on January 18th, the day after the birthday. He says, Jerry, you've got cancer. I said, I, all of a sudden, I, I wasn't so funny anymore. I got sober real quick. Boy, did I get sober. You have cancer. Three words. And I said, how could you be so sure? He says, because I've been doing this for a long time, and I'm not wrong. He says, but we will send it out to the pathology. They sent it out, and sure enough, it was full-blown colon and uh, liver cancer. And uh, they said that if you don't have surgery pretty soon, you have about six months to live. Ooh-wee. There was no more joking about that. But then again, I'm used to asking for help. So I waited for the pathology report, and sure enough, it was true, and they did agree that, you know, it has to be done right away. On February 6th, I had surgery, and they diagnosed me with stage 4 cancer. Stage 4 only because it was two areas, the liver and the colon. And now, this isn't Cancer Anonymous, but there's a point of reason why I'm talking about this. The old me would have said, this is your opinion. I'll take care of it when I'm ready. But I knew to act right away. And I had no shame at all in saying to my friends, I've developed cancer, and I'm going to have surgery. Would you be there to support me? Wow. That was pretty mature of me. I was pretty happy with myself doing that. And they got out about 98% of the cancer, and there was 2% left that they couldn't get to on the liver. And uh, they said, we'll try with chemo. And November 18th, just uh, a few days ago, 
had my last PET scan, and they said, you're free. You, you beat it. Now, I think what you're applauding and what I applaud is the wisdom to know the difference of getting the help right away, asking for the help, which is, you know, I say, but it's still a little bit hard to ask for help. I'd rather give it help. Uh, but to get it, uh, I'm getting used to it. And you should have seen when I was in the hospital, oh my goodness, this guy was next to me, and he was actually, his cancer, he didn't have long to live. And he said to me, who are all these people coming into your room? And these young, beautiful women would come in, put some flowers in, walk out, give me a peck on the cheek. And he says, who are these people? Are you sure you're not a pimp? <laughs> well, think about it. You're laughing because, you know, if, you know, false evidence appearing real, it looked very real. <laughs> you know, that uh, I must have had something to do. Who's a 58-year-old little guy, you know, balding and attracting all these... He heard all the lingo anyway. He says, you know, my sister used to belong to OA, and she lost some weight, and she's doing pretty good. He says, maybe I'll come too. Who am I to judge who should come to OA and who shouldn't? You know? And uh, I've been sharing my experience, my strength, and my hope concerning this thing with cancer only because I could share that pretty easily, but why is there so much shame to say I'm a compulsive over it if I really believe deep down I have a disease. This is a disease that's as deadly as cancer, diabetes, just anything else. And we shake our heads, yes, yes, yes. But still there's some stigma of shame that's attached to it. I pray not to have that shame and not to have that guilt. And... Uh, I'm just so grateful for Overeaters Anonymous, what it's done for me and to me. I've been staying at about this weight now, uh, about uh, about 205 pounds now. So I've been taking, I've, I've kept off about 195 pounds, more or less, for the last 11 years. And I've been way back up again. You know, after I lost that weight initially, I gained a lot of weight back and uh, kept coming to meetings and kept you know, being involved. And it was pretty darn tough coming back to meetings after losing a lot of weight and feeling good and sounding good. And uh, Only I knew inside how miserable and weak and, and how I was losing this whole thing. But they would say, keep coming back, Jerry. Keep coming back. And I would do that. I'd keep coming back. And eventually, things were a lot better. Things were a lot, lot better. Five years ago, I got divorced. And I'm used to being in discomfort for years and years at a time, just like with uh, obesity. And uh, I have a long-time friend, Arnold, who's been with me you know, ever since I came to California in 1980. And uh, I have a lot of friends that have stood, stood by me during all these changes in my life. And... Uh, you know, when I would go to meetings, I'd hear, you know, people that, uh, there's a 100-pounder meeting I went to in the valley, a 100-pounder meeting on Wednesday night. They used to have this group of people that would sit right in the first row, and they all had the same sponsor, and uh, 
they had a lot of good weight loss and they were very spiritual and they called themselves the A-Team because they were the A-Team and uh, the reason I mention this is you know, this A-Team got to their head I don't see any of these 18 people anymore. Maybe a couple of them still come back. But uh, I never want to feel I have it made. You know? I wouldn't mind being a B team, part of the B team. <laughs> I don't have to be the A. Either I'm the worst or the best. I could be, you know, I could be average. I mean, I want it all. I don't mind losing some more weight. That's all right. But it's not the most important thing anymore. The most important thing is, is, is being an okay person. If they start giving out chips for honesty, that's when I'll start taking them if I have 30 days of honesty. And, uh, God, I used to remember you know, breaking my food plan, getting a chip, breaking it again, waiting 30 days to get a chip. I had more chips than a Las Vegas casino. <laughs> you know, and all it meant to me was whether I stayed in my food plan or not. There's more to life than that now. It's how, how spiritual am I? What am I doing for the next compulsive overview? Am I sponsoring? Am I doing anything at meetings? After 34 years, I should pick up a chair? You know, no, that's for 30-day people. No. <laughs> no, that's not how it works here. There's no hierarchy. I mean, there's people that do wonderful service for meetings. You know, we have our world service group. We have our founder who's still... God bless her, is still around and kicking and complaining and being a wonderful example of keep coming back also. Roseanne, how much time do I have left? So, I feel as though I'm a winner. Not because I've lost weight or that I've been around all this time and stuff that I've kept coming back. And I don't have to be, like I said, part of the A-team. I want to be win with the stickers, not, not you know stick with the winners. Win with the stickers. People that stick it out. People that hang in there no matter what. My buddy Arnold and I have been around for years and years. And you know, I know a lot of people like him and I that stay through it no matter what. Not to give up. There's no answers out there anymore. You know, there's very nice, compassionate people that could, you know, feel sorry. And I remember on Seinfeld, you know, with George, uh, he was saying, just think, I go to a hospital, people will pity me. He says, you know, pity I think is underrated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you should be ashamed if people want to help you. There's no more shame in that. I tried it my way, it doesn't work. We've tried it our way, it just doesn't work that well. You know, together we can do it. You know, it's when I, uh, things break up, and, you know, you, like the old thing, you take a bunch of pencils, you, it's hard to break. One, you could, you know, break right in half very easily. We are very strong together, and that's what spirituality to me is. Being together with other people. Some people can meditate in the corner by themselves for years. That's not me. I need other people. I desire, I'm, I'm, I'm a social human being. And uh, today, I'm uh, very close with my son. Uh, actually, in a couple of weeks, uh, December 16th, is my ex-wife's birthday. And 
I'm going to take it to the airport. <laughs> yeah, it sounds funny because I'm taking it. I can't pick her up, though. But, you know, we talk to each other. We, you know, we act like adults now. And I, I thank this program for so many things. You know, I've had arguments uh, with friends, and we, we patch things up. And the old me used to hold on to things forever and be very lonely and very invested in my way of thinking, which got me nowhere. Today, it's like, it's okay to say I'm sorry. It's okay to say I'm wrong. It's actually a very spiritual thing to do. And I once heard of uh, this old lady back in, uh, about my age. Back then, she seemed old. (laughs) And she was, uh, her name is Liz Bailey. She's from New York. You heard the name? And she used to say, for her, I I never knew the difference between religion and spirituality. And I'll I'll close with this. uh, Religion are for people, not everybody, okay? So I'm going to take this person. Religion are for people that pray not to go to hell. Where spirituality is for people that have been to hell and just don't want to go back there anymore. So, this is my story. I'm going to stick to it. And I thank you for all listening.